The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Kev, if you sound just a little bit uh, echoey, um, that's because you are in an entirely empty room. I am. I'm like a goldfish in a bowl with no water. Well, actually, you're in your old storeroom at the moment. This This is the last broadcast from Kev's old storeroom in the old office. I am in my cupboard. Uh, well, I'm yeah. in somebody else's yeah. cupboard, technically. Now. Yes, yeah. actually, yeah, because just a moment ago, we heard the new owner knock on the door. And <laughs> effectively, you are trespassing at the moment in your old uh, in your old office. He came to collect the keys, and I said, uh, well, <laughs> if you don't mind, could I just uh, stay here for another hour and a half? Because, um, oh. yes, I, I, I'm in the cupboard doing, recording some audio. Yeah, you could <laughs> say to him, look, I tell you what, I'll bring the, I'll bring the keys back to the pub in a moment oh no i forgot there's there's a pandemic on yeah oh. yeah so um Luckily. i was hoping you'd be in your new office so we could do a, a little bit of a an, a look around your office but but you're not mm. you're in you're you're in your old no. place kev are you excited though yeah kind well yes i am i am yeah. my new place is is literally six feet away from where i am now <laughs> no, it's but not. it's it's much nicer much bigger um, much, much bigger and yeah. much bigger prices to go with it. Yeah, well, um, well, double the electricity, double the rent, double the rates, double the bills. But yes, I am. And, and you know, I cannot believe I've taken everything out of this studio, mm-hmm. which is tiny. Well, not tiny. Well, but, it's not tiny. But it's, but it's, it's, no, no, it's not tiny, but it was, you know, and I've put it all in that much bigger place yeah. and it's full absolutely full to the rafters of my full. stuff have you sure just you no that doesn't work kev that and i've been to the tip i've taken bags and bags to the tip i just don't know where it's all come from you need really. a big box you need a big you need a box uh, a crap box that you mm. <laughs> that you throw everything in the fuji cast and then um well you, you don't have to worry about how much space you it's, have at all it's like old wedding sample albums oh they're huge I'm throwing, they're all going to the tip on no, Sunday. No, you need those, Kev. You've still got a business. <laughs> Can't get rid of your wedding stuff yet. Uh, well, welcome to uh, another Fuji cast. Um, the the last one from Kev's old studio before the uh, before he moves into the new studio. As from well, as from now, really. This time next week, I, I expect you to have a super duper sound because you're going to be in your new studio with your your soundproofing that Gemma will no doubt have built by then. Uh, and all that it's actually of... already soundproofed is it blimey yeah the guys previously they put sound panelling up on the walls now I know now I know why it's costing you £4,000 a month goodness you you and your questions today from our electronic mailbag and of course also through the Fujicast private Facebook group that you're welcome to become a part of if you want to send an email through you can do you send it to click at fujicast.co.uk if you're not a Fujifilm shooter do not worry it's a big community and whatever flavour you shoot you're very very welcome thank you to our friends who now support us on Patreon uh, we've got well we I normally say at this point Kev what's your book of the week but you packed everything away there is no book of the week I know. I was running around like a headless chicken earlier, looking for my books, but well, I couldn't find them. So, so it, there ain't one. I'm it's afraid. A, well, there is. Okay, uh, there is. I bought a book the other day, and I know you know of this book, and I know you know of this uh, this um, photographer. So, I'm going to have to some, somehow bumble my way through. Which normally books are your domain, but I've I've been buying a few more books of late, um, and so uh, I'll do book of the week, which is Gregory Heisler's Fifty Portraits. And, uh, yeah. uh, but you know of the book, don't you? So uh, yes, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, going to yeah. put it there on the Kev one job pile. One job. You had one job. Yeah, one job. Actually, no, you didn't. You had a lot more jobs this week. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, uh, oh, yes, today we're hearing from Jane O'Dell. Um, I know you don't like to talk about what Jane O'Dell photographs because... Uh, <laughs> don't even mention the word. Uh, yeah. How, how is your horse, by the way? Oh, it still doesn't sound well, you know. <laughs> oh, no, bless Rosa. We had one lined up and then it, it went away, so she was heartbroken. But now oh. I think we've got another one lined up. I, don't, I can't really keep up with it, to be honest. It is like the Grand National. They come from behind you, in front of you, left, right. Some of them fall at the hurdles and some of them don't. And then eventually, well, ultimately, just like the Grand National, it just costs you money, doesn't it? When you say the, 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 when you say the horse went away, you don't, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? Uh, they, somebody else bought it, I think. Oh, so, oh I thought for a minute it had become gone to the glue factory. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. But I think, uh, I think, I think there's one. I think we've got, uh, yeah. So next, by the time you speak to me next time, mm. I should be uh, even more depressed. You'll be a horse owner. <laughs> Whoa, Kev. Oh, don't. A, tr- a trainer, maybe. Do you think you could I be? Don't, a, do I, think- would, I don't think there's anybody from Newport who's ever owned a horse. No. I that makes me quite proud. No, I don't think it's the value of the racehorses, is it? Let's be <laughs> let's be honest. Not not down there. So that's what we've got on the show today. Um, we are Kev still in Bunker Malmesbury, and and uh, you will be for a little while yet. Well, officially, when when are you uh, allowed to come here? If you want to come here at all, that is. I mean, you might decide now with your with your new bunker that it's absolutely fine that you're set up in the corner and the show sounds just fine. Thank you very much without coming here. Oh no, I like coming to you because I can put the miles on my my tax account. Oh right. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you, I don't that... know when I can come. There's been there's three dates on the timeline, isn't there? There's there's basically the first date, which is kids go back to school. I think second date where you can have your hair cut and go for a run, and then the third date where you can go to a hundred thousand people concerts. I don't know I which that, one. I think, funnily enough, the concerts going to outdoor concerts with ten thousand to a hundred thousand people or whatever the figure is actually comes before going to a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I keep having visions of Boris Johnson looking so serious with his haircut. And I know we all need a haircut. I get that. Uh, I, I mentioned this the other day. I mentioned this the other day on the Friday photo walk on the, on the Photography Daily show. I said, do you think Boris is now doing this on purpose? Because nobody can have a hairstyle that bad unless they're trying to make a point. If you are the Prime Minister... Of of a of a country, surely. Look, if footballers are, are are managing to get a haircut, I don't know how they are. Moving on, surely the Prime Minister of of the United Kingdom could find could find a way of just presenting himself slightly better. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't need a haircut. He just needs a comb. <laughs> I know. Well, as I said the other day, Amazon, like a- Amazon. They they probably you could get a I, I could go on there now order a comb it would be there by ten p.m. in Westminster no doubt but, yeah yeah <laughs> anyway so uh, let's get straight on with the uh, the uh, emails and messages La- last week you um you offered a bit of a challenge and somebody only went and done it Kev did God I, uh, the postman postman Matt came yesterday knocked on the door said oh oh Kev got something here from America for you <laughs> and um and so I have listened to this. Go on. We're two years into this podcast. We've had plenty of emails and direct messages and Facebook things and tweets, but we've never had somebody actually get their pen and put it to paper. This handwritten. is handwritten. Handwritten. This is, uh, I think, um, I, well, clink glasses on this one. That's, Not even typed. 
handwritten. Actually handwritten? He starts out by saying, apologies about terrible handwriting, but it's not bad handwriting. Mm. You see me, I would have been, I would have made a really good doctor with my handwriting. Um, Right. So it's quite, it's quite a long one. So I'm not going to read all of it out, but I'm going to read out the the cool bits, the bits that are important. Stand by then, stand by. So first of all, it's from Ted Strang, who is in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, somewhere wi that's wisconsin isn't it um now because ted is the very first person ever to send us a handwritten letter which i love i'm going to keep it forever um we should all follow him on instagram which is at ted strang t-e-d-s-t-r-a-n-g kevin and neil apologies for the terrible handwriting i'm sending this letter sorry stop stop for a second did he just say kevin and neil he didn't say dear kevin and neil or or anything no kevin and neil underscore underlined I, I, I really appreciate the efforts on sending a letter through, but it's, it's the basic things in life like just that nice kind of, Dear Kevin and Neil, or Hi Kev, Hi Neil. I always think when somebody says, Kevin, it's like they're a solicitor and you're in trouble. <laughs> Don't, no, this is great. This is good. I, I'm, I think this is all positive. All right. Kevin and Neil. All right. Kevin and Neil. And uh, apologies for the terrible handwriting. I'm sending this letter on the hopes that it makes it to you okay. It has been 20 years since the last letter I have written and mailed, <laughs> let alone never mailing outside of the United States. <laughs> this bit's brilliant. He says, tell Postman Matt, thanks for his hard work. Oh, <laughs> even mentioned Postman Matt. That's brilliant. Oh. I took it upon myself to take your comments on board in episode 168 as a challenge. Love the show. Keep up the hard work. And sorry for the long letter. Yada, 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 yada. And it even breaks it down. It's brilliant. The next bit is his background, and then the end bit is the question for the show. Right. So uh, background-wise, to kind of paraphrase, is that he's currently got an XS10, um, but he wants something a little bit smaller, I think, as well. Don't we all? Yeah. So the question for the podcast, I love to have a pocket camera for holiday or places, um, uh, something that will comfortably fit into your front pocket of your jeans. I've taken a few pictures of the Fuji XF10 that I just love and have printed out at 12 by 18 inches, 12 by 18, 8, 10, 12. I don't know. That's the thing about handwritten letters where people have scored something out <laughs> 12 could, inches by 10. Probably. It could mean feet. It could mean uh, <laughs> bus, bus shelter size pictures. Unfortunately, I sold it a few months back and it's kind of hard to find now in 2021. The sharpness and detail of those prints are great, way better than any mobile phone that I've printed from. Are there any other pocket, and I mean pocket, no larger than an X70 or an XF10 cameras out there that you guys would recommend um, that he could do some more research on? I love the small size of the XF10. Some YouTube uh, pocket or compact camera reviews may include a lot of cameras that might fit in a heavy winter coat pocket. He's looking for some smaller options. Um, APS-C, maybe micro four-thirds, one-inch sensors. Uh, may end up trying to find another XF10. What about the one we, we talk about sometimes that, oh, Sean Tucker uses it. Oh, what's that one, Kev? Um, lots of street photographers use it. Uh, Rico? Yes, yes. Yeah, Rico GR, GR something or other. GR3, is it? Or GR, is that the Harrier Jump Jet? GR3. I don't, don't know. know. Yeah, I mean, there is, there's a Rico. So the XF10 is, was a tiny, tiny little thing. Um, Smaller than the Rico, probably, I would have thought. Possibly, yeah. I don't know. I'm not, not really used. I've seen the Rico. It's, it is very nice, but I'm not, don't use it very often. Or I haven't used it in, in earnest. XF10 was, yeah, small, as small as the X70, I think. Again, XF10, I, I had one on loan for a while and never had one to keep. 
Um, I didn't. I think they still sell the XF10. I didn't think it was was out of uh, out of production, but maybe it is. Yeah. Maybe that's why it's difficult to get hold of. But yeah, I mean, in the Fujifilm world, you're looking at X70, XF10. Uh, the hope of an X80, I think, is is a long distant dream for many of us. Sadly, we, talk, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. But no, looks of it, well, no. I mean, you never say never, but but one would have thought they'd have gone with it by now. XF10 is, uh, if that's difficult to get hold of, then, yeah, potentially you could look at some kind of the Ricoh. I think, so, does Sony do, what's the Canon one? The Canon is called the... Um, what, the Tiny Tiny one? Yeah, well, oh. GX, is it GX? Uh, I don't, I, in fact, I don't GX. know, I'm sorry, I, I would be guessing. I don't know that one. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I honestly... I think the toss-up is between Fujifilm and uh, Ricoh in that marketplace. I think so, yeah. For those yeah. tiny little cameras. It depends how big your pocket is that you want to hide it in as well. I always found that the X100 really fits quite well into my pocket, but for some people that would be too large. Yeah, mm. um, maybe. maybe we, Well, that's me and you wear dad jeans, don't we? You know, dad what? jeans with big pockets. <laughs> no, don't stick it in my jeans, Kev. Can you imagine that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'd say yeah, potentially look at the Ricos, uh, but uh, you know, obviously, with my ambassadorial hat on, yeah. I would be looking for an XF10. I'm sure you can still yeah. get them. Yeah, you you know, I'm sure you can still get them. Are you wearing uh, elasticated jeans yet, then, Kev? Have we? Have we? Got always. Them? Yeah. Do you? Const- do you wear? Yeah. No, you don't. Do you? <laughs> no, you still got to be wearing button button jeans. You can't be getting elasticated just yet, Kev. Right. Hopefully that's all. Well, before we finish, oh, so right. we have to. I, I we have to make more of this. We need to hang on. I'm going to open a beer in celebration. There we go. That's nice. So, uh, that was for Ted. Okay. Yeah. Well done, Ted. Thank you so much, yeah. Ted Strang at in, on Instagram at Ted Strang. Was the uh, um the oh. what was the address that he wrote on the front by the way? Because Postman Matt originally we we wanted to set a <laughs> a bit, bit of a challenge which, which just said something like Kev. Malmesbury. No, it was the full. It was the full studio address, right. which is very good. I want, Although I want somebody in, to try that, Kev, Kevin Malmesbury. <laughs> if it had come today, it would have been the wrong address. Oh yeah, well that would yes. Well, po- postman Matt surely knows you've moved, and I have only moved six feet. <laughs> mm, yeah. Right. Here's one from Chris Guy. Um, hello, Neil, um, and also really, this is for you as well, Kev. Question: Cast your mind back to weddings. Weddings? What are weddings, Kev? Weddings. I trawled through some old posts in the group and saw you use an X-T3 for video and stills. Can you explain your setup for capturing video and stills at a wedding? I assume you're using two bodies. Well, um, I've changed, actually. Ah, you've changed, Neil. I knew you would. Uh, X-H now, I'm afraid. X-H, what I say? I'm not afraid at all. X-H1 is my i just i like the grip on it i like the feel of the camera i know kev you're going to say there's many things that the xt3 does better than the xh1 uh, ibis plays a, a big part of my decision in this whole process and so therefore now that's become my my camera my camera of choice um huh. mm. <laughs> like the way you said that hmm. <laughs> like you were disappointed in terms um i mean i don't i don't shoot video and stills at weddings it just I did try it. I think it. I just think it takes your eye off the ball because I think you're you're working in two entirely different ways. And in one way you're working really to shutter speed, and the other way you're you know you're not, are you? You're not beholden to shutter speed when you're shooting when you're shooting stills. Um, not no. not not to the same extent. You're not looking for. Oh, I must get a fiftieth. It's no, It's just not that kind of game, is it? Um, no. So I I don't do the both together now. I did. I don't now. 
Um, I just would you do that, Kev? No, never, never. I couldn't. I couldn't even think about recording video and audio and stills. Mm. At a wedding, no. Nope. Yeah, it does take your eye off the ball. But as far as the video goes, then, yeah, 1024 is is uh, a staple. What's the one I've got over here, Kev? It's the... to 55. It's the 18. 18, isn't it? 18 to 55. It's just on there on the yeah. tripod. 18 to 55. That's a good, that, that's a good length. 23, uh, 1.4 is very good for video work. What else do you use for, for video when you're using your, your XT? Um, I, I have to be honest. I've been using my GFX mostly for filming the YouTube stuff. Um, but I was using, I still prefer primes even when I'm doing Do filming. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that sounds weird. You, it, there's no reason, right more reason, but mostly cause it's just usually I'm filming myself in my, in my studio. Yeah. I like to have the, the ability to cer certainly when I'm out filming, I, I do like the ability to, um, to use as well, a zoom lens really comes into its own, I think. But I, funnily enough, when shooting stills, I wouldn't choose a zoom. No, I wouldn't. I'd go um, 56, 23, really, in that respect. So there we go. There's there's your answer. Your question, Kev. There are there are people out there that do record film and stills at weddings. There well, are people uh, that do it. So at it, the is, same time, it is doable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, I'm not saying it's not doable. I just... It's a bit counterintuitive when you look at the way that you set your camera up for shooting stills as opposed to mm. shooting video. Yeah. I know some, well, of some, course. Yeah, some people have that have, have you know, their, their brains maybe have that ability, Kev, that ours don't, I don't know. Yeah, well, undoubtedly. And, and, and I mean, the latest, like the X-T4 and things like that, not that I have one, but the, the custom settings that you can save for video are yes. much more specific. Yes. So you can, you can lock off. But you're right, you know, if you've got a lens with... Uh, if you've got a body with um, kind of manual shutter speed dials oh, and things like that, you have to, you know, you do have to change your mindset every single time. I do keep coming back to the the fact that I just really like the feel of the XH1, that grip, the sort of larger grip. I, I know that uh, I'm not preaching to the choir with you on this one, but uh, I just it's a camera that feels more natural in my hand, to be honest. Hmm. Yeah. But that's all very subjective, isn't it? It is indeed, and when yes. The, and when the XT, uh, sorry, when the XH, not XT, when the XH2 comes out, whoa, then I'll be made, Kev. <laughs> You've got a while to wait for that as well, by the sounds of it. <laughs> Might be a little while. Um, in, in the meantime, XH1 is absolutely fine, isn't it, Bokeh Chicken? <coughs> yeah, he says yes. Right, your question. Okay. Wayne Goodman. This is from the Facebook group, of course. You, actually, the questions are flowing in there now, which is great. Keep them up. Uh, Wayne Goodman starts off by saying, Oi, you two oracles and oh. bastions of photography. What? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Oracle. We're oracles and bastions. Uh, yeah. I, I, I wondered if you'd share your knowledge of printing images. Now, we have spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, and we didn't really have any knowledge, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll go through the question anyway. I've got so you see I've got some landscape images a friend suggested I could print for her lounge wall but I have zero idea what I'm doing here I'd actually like to experiment and see if it's possible door opening for a uh, possibly a door opening for selling some images down the line and I don't mind throwing some money at it however I soon get lost when it comes to the sheer amount of options sizing types of paper metal acrylic uno Ooh. uno uno titanium is that What's that? Uno Batanium. No, I think that's... Ever heard of that? No, I mean, that's in Chernobyl, I know, but it, you wouldn't print with Uno it. Uno Batanium. Is that a real thing, or is it just a spell, spelling mistake? I'm sounds, try sounds, sounds real to me, it. Kev. Oh, no. Look, I'm being what? a complete fool, because then it says, okay, maybe not the last one, but you get the point. <laughs> uh, how embarrassing. <laughs> I'll not edit that out, Kev. I'll leave that in. <laughs> yeah. 
But how do you personally choose the type of paper for your print? Or do you just go with acrylic and the like? Do you have your own printer in your office or do you have them printed with a company? And are there any methods, companies you'd recommend in particular? Mm. Any help would be greatly appreciated. Thank uh, you for the podcast uh, each week. I've I always, never miss one. That's aimed at us two bastions and oracles. <laughs> I've always thought that the moment anybody says printing to me, it just feels like, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> because whenever I've had a printer and I've had a few now, and the last ad was a really, really nice one, which uh, my good buddy uh, Giles Penn found, who prints extraordinarily well. He gave me his old printer and said, look, have this, it will work. And it did work really well for him. For me, I just introduced banding back into my life. I just can't, me and printing just doesn't work. So I send it off. I, I just, Loxley, I love Loxley's work. They take time looking at it. They're, they're diligent. They've been doing it for years. They know what they're doing. Uh, oh, so it just, for me, I just send it off. Yeah, I do too, generally. I uh, When it comes to things like, I mean, even if you send it off, you still have to choose the paper, the metal, acrylic, the oh, yeah, but, you, yeah, the medium. The actual printing of it is then their problem, isn't it, really? <laughs> Yeah, the printing. I, I, in terms of finish and things like that, I'm. I just like matte paper. I don't like gloss. I don't like metal. I don't like acrylic. I, I hate canvases. Those wraparound canvases. <laughs> hate like those. Oh. Uh, I just like simple matte paper. That's what I like. But but that's very subjective and very much down to me. So I, I also had a, a pretty snazzy printer, a Canon Pixma, something mm. or other. Okay. That was, I don't know, I can't, it was about 800 quid, and then it cost about the same every month on ink. So I got rid of that, but it did yeah. make beautiful, beautiful prints. Yeah. But yeah, so I go to Digital Lab, you go to Loxley's. Loxley. There and, are plenty yeah, of them. And Sim, I've used Sim as well. Both, Sim. Both of those are good. Mm-hmm. But uh, I generally stick with Loxley if I'm just doing my prints. It's just bit, yeah. And actually, there are, there are some great printers out there in, in terms of uh, companies to do it for you. It's just that. You know, I think when you find somebody, and you tend to stick with them a bit, don't you? And you can chop and change, but when it comes to prints, just zipping, you know, a quid off here, a quid off there, just to, you know, when I, I would find a printer that you like, get the test print sent to you, be comfortable and confident that that what you output looks correct when they print it, and then stick with them. And if it's if it's fine art stuff like landscapes, you know, if it's if you are thinking about doing fine art stuff, get ready to have your brain exploded by um, <laughs> colour gamuts and yeah. profiles and things like that because they, they will they will want you they will probably send you a profile that you would install into your computer and, yeah. and then you'd need to edit against that and you know yeah. that's the only way you're going to get accurate colours uh, or black and whites it's actually even worse with black and whites well yeah you don't want to end up with green and whites or blue and whites and mm-hmm. mm. yep yep absolutely there right. you go Okay, good luck with that. Um, oh, yes, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we were saying, come on, everybody, send your Facebook questions in. Now we've got a bit of a drought going on on the email. Que- you've, you've got loads of questions for, for Facebook, and then the uh, it's dried a little bit on the, uh, the email side. So uh, click at fujicast.co.uk. Send some in. Here's one from Sasha Alexander. Uh, Kevin, Neil, blah, blah, blah. Great podcast. Love it. Listen from episode one. Have a notebook full of tips and advice gained from listening to you both. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, question. During your early years as wedding photographers, when you were just wedding photographers, so no podcasts or or any other things going on, what did you do on a day-to-day basis to make your business work? What are essential everyday work matters that need doing? 
The reason I ask is that becoming a photographer and having to be responsible for my income, I find myself more often than not thinking, hmm, what shall I do today? Thank you, guys. Both of you really are an inspiration. Oh, and a kiss as well. Are you stealing my Facebook questions? Oh, is that a Facebook one? Yes. All oh, right. Oh, no, I'm looking came... at it right now. You stole my Facebook question. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. It came through an email, though, so I just shoved it in the email folder. <laughs> <laughs> uh... But I don't see the other ones that pop up on that special post that you created. I thought this was just a runaway post that I would nick. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been, I've been absolute, I, I, you know, yeah, you've got me, officer. Here are my hands. Arrest me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what do you do on a daily basis? Um, I, I sit here and I wonder when the doors are going to open again. But I suppose in the days when we were... I mean, there's always plenty to do, isn't there? Um, yeah. Contracts. Okay, so um, so now I've separated my week a little bit back to what it used to be prior to, uh, to, to lockdown. So Monday is always um, admin day, and that can be contracts. Um, it can be anything to do with writing to suppliers it can be paying commissions it can be ordering albums anything that is that is um that is admin related that is all strictly now picked up and shoved onto a monday i suppose i don't call back anybody on a monday so if anybody phones me on a monday they're not getting a call back i try to turn off um messenger and all that sort of stuff and whatsapp and then Monday is all admin. And then the rest of the week, then that sort of sets you up to be a bit more creative. You can do a bit of retouching, can't you? Um, mm -hmm. You might be able to do some work on your website. But I think it's very important to actually plan your week out. So you think, right, on a Monday night, you think, right, what, what, am, I gonna, what, what am I gonna do tomorrow? Otherwise, you can sit there with an inbox full of jobs thinking, right, where do I, where, where do I possibly start? Do yeah, I, I think the, 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 the crucial thing is, is to be organized. Uh, you know, I... I one thing I learned a long, long, way before I was a photographer, but a long time, long time ago was, you know, the power of, of basically a to-do list, you know, it, it sounds crass, but it's, it's, it's incredible. I've got this little, obviously I use windows machines. So I've got this little application that allows me to put text on my screen, so on my um, desktop wallpaper. And, and it just tells me on a daily basis, you know, really, this is what you're, you should be doing today. And you don't always stick to it, but having uh, you know just like your your um, admin day on a monday and stuff it 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 may it's like the difference between light and day when you actually do things in an ordered fashion than just thinking oh my god i've got somebody nagging me about editing i've got to pay these bills i've got to uh you know i really need to do my website because i guarantee what will happen is you will only do the things you enjoy the most oh absolutely yeah and you'll start with the things you enjoy the most and you'll spend too long on the things you enjoy the most, and you'll never get to the things you enjoy the least. And the things you enjoy the least are often the things yeah. that are most important, yeah. such yeah. as paying the bills, doing yeah. the accounts, yeah. doing your website, doing your marketing, you know, ringing the, the, the annoying bride's mum or whatever, you know, you know, all of that stuff. <laughs> Kev. And, and, you know, if you're going <laughs> to... <laughs> that was a you know just an interjection and and <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna do you know something like this with a to-do list i always recommend your to-do list starts with the least enjoyable thing do the least enjoyable thing every single day when i come to the um studio or if i'm at home or whatever 
first thing I do is my bookkeeping, which it doesn't take very long, granted, these days. But I hate it. I hate going into QuickBooks. I hate logging onto my bank and, you know, looking at my overdraft and all that, you know, and you know, I just hate all of that. But it's the thing I do first thing every single day. And I never end up like I used to at the end of every month or worse, at the end of every year when you're doing your tax your tax returns going, oh, my God, I've got to do nine months worth of accounts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I just do it every day. And it takes takes two you know two minutes every day is much better than three days at the end of the month i was thinking having a, a firm um idea of of what each day means such as admin monday tuesday could be um album design day wednesday can be contact venues which is all part of pr thursday could be uh for me photo films friday could be pre-wed shoots or if you do pre-wed shoots maybe that could be a good day to do them because you don't want to be doing them at the weekend uh, Saturdays and Sundays, possibly weddings. Ah, oh, remember weddings. So, but but organ. So have a have each day should have a firm plan, and of course other things will fit into it. I don't know if it was Alan Sugar or, or whether it was uh, Branson. Possibly, they used to say that every single morning he would uh, would not be available on the phone or email because he had to do all, all you know, because they, they have their to-do lists as well. So that would be their to-do list in the morning. And then the, in, the, in the afternoon, then you can start to phone people back and stuff like that, which I thought was quite a, a well-organised way of doing it. What do, you, what do you use as your to-do list? Because there are some great systems oh. out there, aren't, aren't there? To-do, to which is ta-da, uh, to-do, um, T-U, is it T-U-D-E-U-X? I'm showing off my bad French now. But that's a really good piece of software. I think Matt DeValio that we we quite like uses that well i've been using for for quite a while i was using microsoft to do it's called microsoft to do which is very good um you know free and just fits perfectly with the microsoft ecosystem but there was one massive failing with it in that it did not email me every morning and tell me this is what you got to do today i'd have to go to the system and oh. it's been on their roadmap for just like most Microsoft things. It's been on the roadmap for decades. So actually, just last week, in fact, I changed. I, I took out a subscription for something called Todoist. Todoist. <laughs> it sounds like some kind of yeah. left wing, you know, like <laughs> mafia or Russian dodgy company or something. Todoist. Uh, and it's really good. I like it. Okay. It's like 40 Todoist. quid a year or something. All right. Uh, it does okay. basically it does exactly the same as Microsoft to do, but it will re email uh, me. But what I love about it is you can actually type in in like the you know you type in uh, accounts do do accounts and if you just type in the words every Tuesday, it will put it in it will automatically uh, do that or you can type uh, in yeah. uh, the last day of every month that or, sound, that sounds like to do to doist. Yeah, but that sounds like the other one called To Do. This is a ridiculous conversation. <laughs> a bit, isn't it? Shall we move on, Kev? Yes. Or just basically organise yeah. yourself. Or Sasha. get a piece of paper and write on it. That's the other thing you can do. Yeah. Right, yeah. Kev, it's time to talk about the horses. I still don't think your horse sounds right, Kev. I've never seen it jump. Uh, we talked a little while back about qualifications, fellowships, and today another fellowship photographer in the RPS, Jane O'Dell, who is a tide watcher, who has some super work on the coasts, just glorious stuff. But she came inland, settled in Newmarket, now makes the most wonderful photo stories and documentaries about the world of horse racing. And, you know, it starts in a wonderful way, really, with, with, with a bit of a chance meeting, which goes to underline that at any stage, your photographic world, um, your photographic outlook, your photographic interests 
a subject to exciting and unexpected twists, turns and opportunities. This is Jane O'Dell. Jane, 15 years as a photographer, photographing landscapes and uh, wonderful coastal images, pictures that you have then. Then four or five years back, your photographic eye wanders a little towards equine, and I wondered why. Okay, so, uh, yeah, the the coastal stuff was very much about uh, my photography in the earlier days, and, of course, I... Uh, was awarded my fellow uh, my associateship for that um i moved to newmarket uh, about five or six years ago with my partner sean and um i hadn't really ever taken any pictures of horses or done any sports photography or anything like that um and suddenly we found ourselves moving uh, to the back of one of the stables and of course we've got hundreds of stables here in newmarket and <laughs> yeah. about three thousand horses and um, we found ourselves uh, with a garden that backed onto the stables. Uh, and it intrigued me, the sights and the sounds uh, of waking up to the neighing of the horses and the clip-clopping of the horses around the yard was kind of quite in, uh, intriguing. Um, I started to go out with the camera a little bit and photograph the horses on the gallops. I wasn't uh, experienced in it at all. Uh, and then one day I bumped into the trainer that owned the stables at the back of the house. Um, He then invited me to become his in-house photographer and to go out with his horses once a fortnight to photograph them. Um, And so I did that uh, and I continue to do that now. uh, But I also go out under my own steam and photograph them training in the mornings. But one thing that really caught my attention was the the rhythm of the, and the clockwork of the stables and their daily routine, which didn't change day on, day out. It was all weathers every day of the year. Yeah. It was a, a, something in the background of the town that people didn't see and people didn't uh, get to experience. So between photographing for Charlie Fellows, uh, who's the trainer that I work with, um, I started to capture little sort of candid moments of the, the, the riders and the, and the trainer and the yard staff and the horses uh, in the yard. So as well as kind of the fine art uh, equine stuff that I do out, out and about, I started to build a body of work up that really looked at the behind the scenes of the horse racing, really. Up until that point, I'd kind of lost my way a little bit since the coastal stuff. What, in photography generally, you mean? Not in photography generally, but uh, as a progression from associateship to fellowship. Um, The associateship, I was on a panel of coastal work, and I knew that the fellowship needed to be on something different, but I didn't quite know what that would be until I moved here. And that soon became apparent that I was getting the same kind of buzz and the same kind of excitement about the... Uh, photographing the horses that I did uh, with the sea and I found it quite similar in some ways my photography was about the capturing the motion and the emotion of the horses training well, and it was kind of similar to the tides in some way well, we'll get we'll get to the subject matter in a moment although I am intrigued yeah. that, that Charlie Fellows who's a well-known figure in horse racing yes uh, sort of um, spotted you out there on the gallops one day and the next moment he said uh, Jane do you fancy just being our in-house photographer I mean that's a bit of a story in itself, but maybe we'll we'll get to that in a moment. Let let me get a handle on on first of all qualifications because you've you've mentioned ARPS and you've mentioned FRPS already, and we we and we're going to come on to to the to the panel itself in a moment. But I, I, why why is the um why is that route important to you as a photographer? Because there's many photographers that will be like, oh, 
I don't need a qualification. No, exactly that. You can go out and just be taking photographs purely for the fun of it. Yeah. But for me, it was about setting myself uh, a challenge, setting myself a project and, and working in a body of work rather than just as an individual set of images, bringing everything together and actually having a, a panel of work that I could be proud of and that could almost be my legacy in, in some ways in the future. Um, and that was really the, the point with the RPS qualifications. It, I just wanted to challenge myself, I think, and be part of what's a great organisation in terms of world-class photography. Yeah. So it sounds like it's a bit of a documentary about yourself, doesn't it? It is really. It's a bit of a personal story. It's a bit of a personal development of my, my work over, over a period yeah. of years. Um, when, when you when you enter your panels, and I suppose this is the same for the associateship as the as the um, as being a fellow. Although I know it's a lot more advanced uh, as you leap up, but do you do you get to see the actual judging of it? Not with the fellowship. No. Um, with the associateship, you do. Uh, you can go down and be present while the the panel review the the uh, pictures and then go away and um, come up with a decision. And it's a very much a you have it or you don't have it by the end of that day on the associateship. With the fellowship, it's much more of a long process. Um, you are advised to seek online help from the, the RPS team um, to see if you're actually uh, going in the right direction and if your panel has any legs in it, really. Um, you then uh, you can go on an online advisory day or you can get a one-to-one -one, uh, tuition. and Well, not tuition as such, but one-to-one -one feedback on the panel, which is what I did. Right. Uh, you then get a concise kind of critique on the whole panel uh, as a whole, individual images, and also you send some um, additional images to see if they might work better. Uh, then from that critique, you kind of work up your final panel and you put a submission forward and you send that off down to Bristol uh, and uh, you are either successful or not successful. Do they so. give you feedback if you're not? They do, yeah. Um, my fellowship actually took three attempts to get to it. Oh, right. It was my third time. Um, the first panel came back really positively, um, saying that there was just a few tweaks that were needed to four of the images. Right. Uh, I resubmitted six months later. Um, and then two more images were then successful, and then the final push was the the last two, which I, I gained it. What sort of tweaks were they asking you for? Um, well, obviously, with a fellowship panel or indeed an associateship panel, it's not about the individual images; it's about how they all gel together yeah. uh, and um, whether they work and have a narrative within the panel. And it was felt that on the final two pictures, um, that I, well, stage two. Uh, that a couple of the pictures didn't quite hit the mark and they weren't quite strong enough in terms of telling a story okay. um, as part of that panel. Technically, they were fine, but it was just about getting that narrative spot on. Well, I'm glad you mentioned technical because we've often said uh, on, on the show of images, we, we talk about, well, it wouldn't win an award, but the but bit, you know, but is, is usually important. It win, wouldn't win an award but because that usually talks more about emotional value of an image rather than perfection. Can you enter a picture that's not tech perfect or even tack sharp, uh, but, but one that makes you feel? Or, or does it have to satisfy everything, feeling, tack sharp, tech, all that kind of stuff? It has to satisfy everything in terms of you need to be technically proficient, but right. you've already kind of proved that to the RPS panel by doing your associateship because you, you wouldn't get as far as applying for fellowship if you're, you weren't technically proficient. Yeah. Having said that, for the fellowship, it does have to be technically good in terms of the picture quality, 
but it also allows you a little bit more flexibility and artistic license um, if it's obvious that you have uh, processed some images in a certain way. I mean, there were images within my panel where there were no highlights in some shadows and there were some purely white areas, but it was intentional processing rather than an inexperience of technical ability. Well, let's talk about the subject then for the panel. Now, I, I, I sit on a day with the wind blowing the right direction. Practically, Jane, a megaphone's reach from Newbury Racecourse. And, <laughs> and in the days prior to this rotten COVID nonsense, um, a, ra- a race day in this town is one you either attend or become a part of in some way because the good people of Racing Land part their tweed backsides on any restaurant table and chair that can be found in the town. Uh, and, but I, I am a little bit like somebody who lives in London but never envelops himself in going out in London. Um, I've been racing. I've lived in this town for many, many years. I've been racing twice, I think. Maximum. No more. Um, what What is it about? I know you said you, you're living next to the stables and, and you're hearing the noises and... But what is it now that fascinates you so much? Because your body of work, it, it's, your body of work is just expansive now, isn't it? It is, and it it's, it continues to grow really, and my passion for it continues to grow. Um, I, th- I guess with my fellowship panel and my work, I want to kind of document the behind the scenes aspect of racing. I don't. It's very easy for, to go to race day and to experience the the glamour and the glitz of a race day, but not many people are fortunate enough to be able to live in the town and see the workings of the town and the rhythm of the town. And it's that that in, intrigues me and that I want to document. And I think New, uh, I think Newbury and Newmarket, I mean, Newmarket's so much more about, I mean, everything's about the horse, isn't it? New, Newbury, oh, yes. Newbury is on certain days, but we go a bit further down the road, you get to Lambourne, which is the Valley of the Racehorse, and that's where all the training goes on. But Newmarket, it's all, it's all about that, isn't it? It's all about that and it's every day of the week yeah. and it's, um, you know, horses have priority. They have right of way in the town. Do they? Cars take, yeah, they absolutely. <laughs> cars take second place in terms of right of way on the roads. Um, yeah, there's about 3,000 horses here in Newmarket and they're all out and about every day training. And, and during COVID, has that changed at all? Have you seen less activity? I would imagine a bit, surely. Yeah, it's changed things a bit. Obviously, the horses still need to be out training, yeah. but obviously social distancing and everything has been uh, very much paramount in in everyone's mind here. But um, yeah, uh, there was a period in lockdown where I didn't go out so much with the camera uh, until the, the restrictions were lifted. Mm. But there's so much space here in Newmarket that you can be, you know, quite a distance from anybody or anything and still with a long enough lens be able to capture the shots. Right, let, let's get to Charlie Fellows, this story about Charlie Fellows. So you're out there on your gallops and you're, yeah. and you're, and you're photographing and this uh, mammoth of the racing world just happens to saunter over and says, oh, you've got a nice camera there. Do you fancy being my full-time behind-the-scenes photographer? It just doesn't work like that, does it? Well, it, to be honest, I didn't know anything or any anyone in the town when we moved here. And I had been out on one particular morning out on Warren Hill, which is one of the training places. And a guy pulled up in the car next to me as I walked home, wound down the window and said, did you get any decent pictures of my horses? Well, I didn't know who he was and I didn't know which yard he was from. But I did. I went home and had a look and I got a few pictures and uh I lined up going around for a coffee with him and had a bit of a chat. And he said, do you know what, you know, how, how do you fancy coming out once a fortnight, take a picture of my horses that I can send off to the owners? Very much snapshots in some way, very much kind of point and shoot shots. Um, and then um, it went from there, really. And I spent more and more time at the yard, got to know Charlie and the team much better. 
became part of the the team really the extended team and yeah. now i can kind of crawl around on the floor taking pictures <laughs> and the horses or the the riders don't take very much notice of me they know i'm a bit crazy excuse the gratuitous question but has this become a paid position for you um yes my yeah my work with charlie uh, for the stuff that he sends out to the owners is a paid yeah. thing but yeah. i i'm often up at the yard um you know on my own time and uh, when i know that the horses are going to be doing something in particular yeah. that i know that i could grab some shots for myself and he's more than happy for me to do that a friend a friend of mine takes these most gorgeous pictures uh, he doesn't he doesn't do it now he, he he i think he did it for a couple of months and then sort of came away from it and i was left thinking no there were beautiful images of horses um, that he did in a very yarn artist Bertrand way where he set up the backdrop and, and got horses trotting and doing whatever horses do in front of it. Look at me, I, I know nothing about them. <laughs> uh, and um, But he, uh, for me, they were gorgeous. They were fantastic representations of these um, uh, hugely powerful, um, incredible beasts. But he always said and he maintained that um, he thought he got better pictures because he knew nothing about the, the the mechanical process of a horse in motion. It, now, when you started, of course, you didn't know anything about it. Now you do. Has it made a difference to the way you photograph? Yes. I mean, certainly I'm getting to know uh, a bit more of what the horses tend to do, what their exercise process is and what they do on certain days. Um, so, yes, in that way, I, there, there's a lot more I could know. I read about it a lot. I um you know, I live and breathe a combination of photography and horse racing at the moment to, to learn as much as I can, because I think uh, it's really important that you know the subject that yeah. you're working with in the same way that I used to know the tide times of the sea. Um, so, yes, it is it is really important for me. Uh, and are the trainers or the owners, are they are they particularly fastidious about how you present pictures to them now that I'm sorry, but that that motion's not quite right? Yeah, for the, for the pictures that I take for Charlie, it's very much about capturing the horses um, through the different through the stage of their morning work. So it'll be the horses leaving the yard and walking out. It'll be the horses cantering. It'll be the horses galloping and the stride, sharing the different strides. Um, so to capture like that horse on that particular morning doing the things that it would do. But in terms of my stuff, it's very much candid, almost documentary style. Yeah you know fly on the wall stuff that i really enjoy and what about the actual race days at newmarket because i know race courses are quite guarded on on who can go where and do what are, are you allowed in the weighing rooms and yeah i've been fortunate to work with uh, a couple of the jockeys um quite closely that that ride out for charlie and also go go to the races with charlie and the team in the horse box so providing I'm with him and part of his team, then that's fine. But obviously you can't just wander in with a big long camera and no. uh, camera lens and, uh, and snap away. Do you take a flutter on the day or are you not allowed yeah, to? Yeah, I do. You're part- yeah, oh, you I are. Do. I wondered if you were part of the team. It was seen as it was looked down upon <laughs> as, oh, no, Jane, you can't you can't be spending a few pennies on our on our horses. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I sign of the times and you've, you've sort of you mentioned it slightly just a moment ago. The, the socially distanced at the yard picture. As you say, it's changed um, how how the town has been with the horses. You haven't seen so much activity, but it's 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 not changed the training as such, has it? They've still had to be out there, and you've still been a part of it. Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. I feel very very lucky and fortunate that I've uh, still been able to uh, to maintain being part of it. And um, obviously, everybody's respectful of the rules mm. and. Uh, 
uh, yeah, it just makes things a little bit trickier sometimes. Well, let's, let's talk about the kit. Um, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm assuming here you need a thumping great big zoom. There's one, there's one picture on the gallops where I'm seeing them coming straight at you. And I, I was thinking, well, I hope she's not sitting right in the middle of that. <laughs> with, with <laughs> no, that one, I, I know the picture you mean. And uh, yes, I was some distance. I was actually behind some barriers at the very top of the hill, right. quite a long way away from them with a, the long end of a 200 mil um, in those days, Nikon lens right. uh, to get that with a converter on. So, But, but, but life has changed now because you're, you're a Fujifilm user now, aren't you? I am, I am. Yeah, after many, many years of being Nikon full frame, yes, uh, last year I took the plunge and went completely Fuji uh, yeah. through and through. And I, I love it. I mean, the main reason I went over to Fuji because I, I wanted to go to a mirrorless system. Um, I was getting a lot of neck problems and, and things from my day job as a designer sitting at the desk all day and then mm. my my other passion of photography being out with a heavy camera, it was starting to take a toll on the old bones. So I wanted to lighten all the kit up a little bit. And um, Fuji just gave me the best of both worlds, really. So uh, I love it. And what about um, focusing? Because that's a very important thing when it comes to sport. I've spoken to a, a couple of uh, sports photographers. And um, even though you're, you know, a, a lot of your work is at the stables, it is behind the scenes, there are times when you're photographing fast-moving objects coming toward you. How, how, do, you, yes. how do you operate? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm usually in shutter speed mode. I'm, I'm usually uh, wide open on the aperture and uh, just uh, letting the Fuji work out the ISO for me with a, obviously a cap on it. Um, yeah, just getting getting a series of shots and yeah, mixture of manual and um, automatic focusing. So manual focus. yeah, just kind of wow. yeah, a little bit yeah, a little bit mainly single point focus. Um, but uh, yeah, it's kind of. A little bit trial and error. I, you know, I'm still really learning the Fuji system because it is, although it's a camera and it's the same kind of lens, it's a very different way of working. And so I'm kind of really in the early days, really, of uh, Fuji. But I'm I'm enjoying learning, and um, I know long term it's the best thing. So, so in the kit bag, then what what do you have? You've got the XT2, which I know you love. Um, yes, yep. I've got the XT2. Lens-wise. I've got the kit lens, obviously. Okay. Uh, uh, and a 55 to 200 mil zoom which is what i use mainly for the stuff out on the gallops yeah. uh, and i've just invested in a 23 mil f2 uh which i'm loving at the stables mm. because obviously it's very dark uh and you want a very fast lens and i'm finding that's really really useful your your world or at least the website is a festival of black and white jane what's the thought process behind that i couldn't find a jane odell color picture <laughs> you won't find one anywhere <laughs> the only color images i take as i say are for charlie but everything i do for myself is uh, black and white um yeah. i've always loved black and white photography i was when i started out in photography i was really inspired by people like michael kenner and michael levin and, and people like that so um i love black and white i think it tells much more of a story it's uh, much more timeless and uh, you can be a lot more artistic with it really uh, yeah i love it um, well, you've got your fellowship. What happens now? I mean, these do seem milestones, but what, what's the next milestone? You, you, yes, ca- you I know. can't have peaked. <laughs> no, well, I hope I've not peaked. I mean, yes, the fellowship was uh, an ambition for the last four years. It's taken me four years to put the panel together and achieve a, uh, this distinction. So I'm really thrilled and I'm kind of riding high on that feeling for a little bit yep. um, just to kind of. Um, help it to work for me as a photographer. Uh, I've got a possibility of an exhibition in the pipeline, very early stages. I'd like to put a book together uh, and things like that. So that's kind of the immediate plan. And in terms of my photography, 
I'm just going to continue what I'm enjoying doing at the moment until something else crops up in my mind and, and takes me on to my next adventure, I think. Uh, thanks to Jane O'Dell. And as always, there are links to, well, Jane's work and all the other things that we talk about on the show at fujicast.co.uk on the show page for today. After this show today, Photography Daily is a good port of call if you want to hear more stories of how photographers work. And uh, it's an eclectic week this week with a capital E. Or perhaps I should spell that capital with the O because, uh, well, today on Photography Daily, Brendan Barry, the man who can make cameras out of anything, including melons, <laughs> big lumps of cheddar cheese, who went uh, from being a, a commercial photographer to a photographer who teaches people how this thing works in a really original way. You know, I've got one that's a caravan, I've got one that's a shipping container, you know, I've made them in cars and vans and all sorts of things. For me, one of the important things, as I've already mentioned, is 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 being able to invite people into the experience. And, and you know, going back to the education thing, you know, the easiest way to teach someone how a camera works is, is from the inside of one. And then I mentioned capital with the, the O in the spelling, because on Wednesday, a feature-length episode with Pete Souza, Barack Obama's personal photographer for eight years, who shot two million frames that document the most intimate moments of President Obama's life as Commander-in-Chief, including some funnier recalled moments too. I mean, Pete must have a claim to fame as having one of the only portraits where the tables were turned completely and the camera ended up in the hands of the man being photographed. Well, it's interesting. There's a picture in my book. Uh, I did this coffee table book at the end of his presidency, Obama, and it's a portrait. And there's a, there's a picture in the back of the book uh, you know, sort of like the author portrait. And um, and he, he's the one who took the picture. Photography Daily is on all podcast player apps or on the website photographydaily.show. Right, back to the questions. Kev, you're first. All right. So we have, I got, I'm, 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 I've got two. I'm, okay, I'm going to throw this at you, Neil. You can have two. Do you want, right. do you want a question about group shots mm. or do you want a question about photography becoming digital art oh, blimey they're two very good questions kev mm. should, we, should we handle your favorite first group shots all right okay in which case this is from jonathan clapton and uh <laughs> always makes me smile when i see right. jonathan's stuff bearing right. in mind that what we talk about uh, as wedding photographers because yeah. i photographed his wedding oh um, did you right okay <laughs> all right hi both yeah. i wonder if you could offer me some advice ah, with- we'll try Bor- with Boris's roadmap back to normality now set out, it looks like did, we will did, be shooting. Did somebody say Boris? <laughs> <laughs> Brushes his hair with a balloon. <laughs> with Boris's roadmap back to normality now set out. Yeah, he said Boris again. <laughs> Sorry, we have to say. <laughs> it looks like I will be shooting my first proper wedding this July. Um, my clients have diligently completed my pre-wedding questionnaire in the section where I've suggested that whilst I shoot documentary style, I recognize that a small number of group shots might still be required. They specifically asked for one of the whole wedding party, a hundred plus guests, yes. uh, as well as a couple of smaller ones. This might be failing. Uh, this may be a failing of my marketing, although I think I'm quite clear what my style is on the website and i suppose i did ask Mm. so he goes on to say i'm happy to take a large group photo but fear my 23 mil and 56 mil primes or 18 to 55 mil zoom might not be up to the job you're 18 55 will do it just fine 
Absolutely. Hang on, I'm on a comma. Oh, right. It's a comma, right. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I'm thinking, uh, well, Jonathan's on a comma, so I'm thinking I may need to hire a wider lens for the occasion, right. maybe 1024. Right. As I'm just starting out, I'm trying not to invest in too much glass at the stage. Um, and then he goes on to say, what practical tips do you have for taking the shot? Um, well, I'm not sure I'd use a 1024. You might be sucking out the bridesmaids at the end. <laughs> Yeah, 1024. Yeah, be very careful of the wide, the Sorry, wide lenses. Kev. Oh, oh dear. 1024 is too is 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 oh, the 1024 is fine as long as you don't. If you shoot it at the 10 mil end, yes. the, the people on the ends they're are going to be they're going to be elongated, sucked yeah. out. And I didn't mean to say what I said. I I, I do I do apologise there. Don't be rude. I'm sorry. Get back in your box. Uh, but yeah, I think I think you covered there with the eighteen fifty five. Yeah, Jonathan. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think a hundred people. Yes, I mean you. It does depend a little bit on where you are, of course. Normally, what will happen? Depend. I, I don't know where the wedding is, but there, there's probably a wedding planner or yeah. somebody who will say to you, you know, if you stand here or you stand on these steps or you stand at that window or whatever. Yeah. Is he um, is he worried about having to do that shot? Do you think? Because it feels to me like it's when when he said, "Well, I'm not sure if I I can't remember what the words actually were, but but I'm not sure if I've I've correctly sort of." Um, position myself in in terms of my documentation of what what people should expect from me whether he yeah. feels that he shouldn't be doing that or doesn't want to do it no i think the question i think he he basically said that you know he did ask them so you know it, it, yeah. it's yeah. kind of in the mix okay um and and bearing in mind it's jonathan's first wedding so it's always nerve-wracking having 200 eyeballs staring at you oh yeah you, yeah you point your, yeah. your camera do you do many of these shots very 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 infrequently yeah. See, like I, I do i i probably do a big group shot of everybody at every well pretty much every single wedding i would say i probably in a year of shooting normal number of weddings there'll only be about four or five where i wouldn't yeah i the reason why i don't i i i i, I mean i absolutely despise them i have to say not that i think that people who do them well don't why? do them well why do you uh, I, because usually it's you know you get the the wedding plan is like right everybody's leaving the wedding room you go up you run up those stairs stick your head out that window and by the time you've got that picture all of the emotion has been sucked out of the yeah, day yeah but that's that's our job to say that's not when i do the see i always no. make that very i i go through that list with uh, the wedding plan of the day and you're absolutely right that many of them will say what we like to do is when they've come out of the of the um ceremony we we lead them down there and then you'll be up there and i'll say no 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 wait a minute no let them do all the hugs because if we miss those hugs all the love's gone isn't it and they'll be uh yeah uh, but that's the way I, but no trust me um that i i, I short circuit that straight away because you're absolutely right. If you go into group shots, in fact, I say this to the bride and groom during the meeting, the pre-wedding meeting, whether it's Zoom or whatever, I say the last thing you want is some, and I use these words on purpose, you don't want some idiot photographer to be ordering your guests around when actually grandma's in bits and she just wants to give you a hug. Yeah, quite right. Totally. Um yeah, I just don't. I just don't. I, I mean, I, I thinking back to 2019, yeah. probably one or two weddings had it. Yeah, but it's. I don't mention it. You know, the only reason they don't mention it. The only, well, not the only reason, but what the strongest reason for 
So I know we differ on this, but the strongest reason for doing a big group shot is, and it's another way I describe it to clients, is it's a get-out-of-jail card. Um, I.e., if you've done this one, you're not going to get great Auntie Maud come up to you later on and say, well, Peter, I wasn't in a shot. You say, yes, you were great Auntie Maud. You were in that one. Oh, yes. And she'll sort of go off and have another gin. But but you sort of you short-circuit all those problems of people coming up to you, your uncles and your aunts, your second cousins removed, and say, I wasn't in a shot. We didn't do that shot. You say, yes, we did. It's a big group shot with everybody. Yeah, but you also introduce the risk of, uh, you know, the bride saying, right, we're going to do the big group shot for the stupid photographer up in the window. And uh, Bob, Bob's the best, Bob's the best man or Bob's the the, uh, usher. Go and get Auntie Moore. She's 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 in the loo. So off Bob goes and and he goes to try and find her. And in the meantime, he stops for a pint. Everybody else gets Mm. bored and starts wandering off. And then I just throw my camera through the window (laughs) on the floor, get in the car and drive home. I have to say, I don't find that myself if if there is a, a pinpointed part of the day and you've and you're you know it's the only part of the day where where i really do have my voice heard if you've got that bit everybody and you're you're to use a horrible corporate expression stand by corporate expression coming up warning warning if you're managing expectations and you're saying to these people this is the big group shot after this one all i need is a b and c everybody else is free to go and have a drink then they they behave themselves perfectly. And you get thanked for it as well, really. And then you've done your group shots. You've taken what I call the... Uh, I tend to call it a 20-minute group shot holiday in the day. No more than that. If you can uh, if you can avoid doing any more minutes than that, then then that's... And then the rest of the day is documentary. But but this way, Kev, you've just... You've ring-fenced a little organised time, pre-arranged, not changed on the day. You've agreed it beforehand, some some legacy group shots, 10, 20 minutes max, because, I, th- I mean, I think legacy is what, what they are. I mean, at our wedding, it was it was the last photograph of mum alive with her brother and close family. I mean, we don't have anything else like it for the rest of her life. Also, it was the last big one for great-grandma to be in the generation shot with her family. I mean, stuff stuff like that doesn't naturally always come together because the reality is we know it doesn't always happen so sometimes just making a bit of that is is okay and those shots are are part of the documentary simple as then then go back to your doc shots and everything we love doing kev but i i don't i I don't buy this idea that a few groups are the enemy of the story but because they can be i think they can be part of the story but just don't make it a photo shoot i'm with you on that one there you go jonathan (laughs) <laughs> I bet you're glad you had me photograph your wedding, not him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, <laughs> no. If somebody, if somebody, if somebody, hang on, Scott, support me here. Stop it. Absolutely. Um, if somebody doesn't want them, fine. But most people do, and yeah. if they do, you've got to you've got to control the situation. Yeah, no, you're dead right. I mean, when it does happen, yeah, absolutely. I. I I remember having uh, a conversation with, um, I can't remember, I have no idea which year it was now, several years ago, but, and it was like, no, we we don't want it, but my mum wants it. And, you know, she's absolutely dead. We've got friends coming from Australia, you know, she absolutely, absolutely yeah. wants it. We yeah. hate those types yeah. of things. Yeah. And I was like, well, if you, you're the ones paying for the wedding, if you hate it, just don't have it. And, you know, and I said to them, I said, look, say to your mum, 
that by the time we organize something, everybody just has tiny faces in the frame. By the time we've organized it, all of the uh, the fun and frolics and everything will have gone away. And 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 the mum was just like, oh yeah, yeah, that's quite right actually. So yeah, they never had but it. I'm going to be I'm going to be a bit of a devil's advocate here. And is that because you don't want to do it, or it seriously is not a shot that belongs in the history of these people? I I, I honestly, big group shots. You have people who their heads are tiny, generally, depending on how many people are there. There's always people looking the wrong way. There's always people who do not want to be in there. There's people picking their noses. There's people talking. There's people <laughs> scratching their asses. <laughs> Unless you have a proper editorial photographer who stages it like a Vanity Fair shot, it's going to look like a chicken's dinner. That's my view of group shot of, of group shots of all of the whole wedding party. Did somebody say chicken? Should we move on to the next question? I think we should. Yeah. <laughs> that's is that the that's my phone ringing. That's all my remaining wedding clients ringing. Cancel. <laughs> no, you've got a horse to pay for as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God for the button box today. Go on. What's the next? What was the other one? I can't remember what you, there was a. It was a. Mod- okay, so mod- so the other question yeah. was uh, from a Ron Whiteman. And he says that he anxiously awaits every new podcast. Uh, the Futurecast has become one of my top faves and must-do listens. Uh, thanks for all you do. Question for each of you. When does a good photograph become digital art and no longer a photograph? Oh. I'm a bit of a purist. And yes, I use Lightroom and very limited Photoshop for minor enhancements. Often in Facebook groups or Instagram, I see photos that have gone way beyond what I would call a photograph in mm. inverted comments mm. or air quotes for our American friends. Interested in your thoughts on this subject? It, does, it feels to me like the moment somebody changes the sky colour, um, that becomes ergo digital art. I, I don't, is that what he means, do you think? I, I guess there's an element of that in there. I suppose, yes, recently with photoshops, um, you can just drop a new sky in, completely just yeah. drop a sky in, and yeah. it, it looks incredible. You cannot, I cannot tell a difference. Um, I've, not, I've not used this facility, so... So, because I, I hardly use Photoshop at all now. Every, everything you can right. make people smile. Honestly, really? you can add smiles to wow. people's faces. Blimey! Well, more, more than your thirty. Gemma's putting all my pictures, all pictures of me through it. She's been spending <laughs> months doing it. You're only allowed thirty-five a year. <laughs> God, I didn't realise it was quite that. So, so the sky you can put in, even if you've got twigs and twiglets and things, you can still. Yep. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's very clever, and and there, there's you know I think there's a application for that kind of stuff as well i don't think yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, i'm not dismissing that technology but yes i i mean i agree with ron in that you know you can there are some horrendous examples in the wedding photography world of people that have uh, you know edited things in and out and you know that i it always makes me laugh when people do eyeball replacements in group shots mm. so somebody's blinked and they've missed it Mm. And 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 they haven't blinked in a previous shot, but it's not quite as good. So they then move the eyes across. Move the eyes well, across. It, it can't if you work, do it well, it you can't yeah, notice yeah, it. You don't notice it. Yeah. If you do it well, <laughs> but if you don't do it well, yeah, <laughs> it looks like yeah. ET. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and you well, see, maybe, I see that quite often. Maybe use the wrong shot. eyes. You you take grandma's eyes and stick them on dad. <laughs> Left and right. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. It, yeah. Um, so you know that that but but kind of photo editing as such i think there's you know there's there's a time and a place for everything i i'm i don't know if purist is the right word to use because you know even turning something from color to black and white is editing it isn't it and exposure contrast all that stuff 
there there are a lot of people out there actually who who do you know they're they're honest about it and they are this is a composite this is digital art and that it's yes. a very valid genre yes and and those people are, are really skilled at what they do yeah. it's the people that pretend you know there's the, in street photography you see it a lot and if you go if you dig into the forums and stuff you'll see lots of arguments about people who you know they've got a great shot but actually in the background was something you know misleading or whatever and, and then they edit it out or even worse they introduce something to the picture like a dog yes. running or so i don't know whatever yeah. but uh, you know and then claim it's a street photo and it's not it's a very good example of digital art but it's not a good example of a candid picture. Um, that's why I hate. I, I don't like that at all. There was a time when people used to put stuff into wedding pictures like birds and things like that, wasn't there? Do you remember that dreadful... What was that thing that people used to do with that that blooming dinosaur that used to appear? Uh, yeah. The dinosaur chasing the people. Dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, that was awful. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ron, I think, you know, there's... Uh, there is a fine line in my world of what becomes digital art. Um, but in other people that for other people, that line is much wider. Yeah. You know, I do, uh, when I do my colorizing of black and whites, that's the definition of digital art because it's purely Photoshop coloring, you yes, know, is, all, yeah. all of that yeah. stuff. It's yeah. digital art. Yeah. Yeah, it's simple as that. Um, but I love doing that, but I don't, I don't like, Candid pictures being claimed to be candid when they're not. I hate that. There, there is the street photographer that we've talked about before, um, Lee Jeffries. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now it has been suggested. I don't know. Do you know the story to this of of that sometimes the eyes are somewhat widened or that that's what I've heard suggested about his work. I don't know, Lee. You're, I'd love for you to come on the show and talk about this, but you've always refused whenever I've asked. I've always assumed that he he uses the. Um, bloat filter in photoshop to do that yeah i mean i don't know i've not read anything to the contrary or to the positive of that but i just assume that's part of his editing yeah yeah right um book of the week now normally at this stage i say kev what's the book of the week and you go into a full-on sort of book of the week review but um your books are at home you're in the office and actually you don't even know where the books are in the other office which you're about to move into i'm not even in my own office anymore well (laughs) so I said, well, I tell you what, Kev, I suppose I could, I could, uh, I've got a book here that I've just bought over the last couple of days. I'm starting to buy up more books, actually, Kev. So it's not my book of the week. Because Stealing it, my Facebook I questions. Know, I know. Stealing my book collection yeah, ideas. Yeah, no, so it's not my book of the week. I don't do book of the week. Kev does book of the week. But Kev knows about this photographer. And I thought we could have just a gen, general chinwag about him. And I'll, I'll tell you a few things that I found in the book that I found interesting. Um, it was actually a book that was suggested to me by by Lars Hegard, who mm. is a um, a fond follower of both the podcasts. And um, the book is called uh, Fifty Portraits by a, a photographer called Gregory Heisler. And you know this this man, don't you? I think you've met. I've met, I've met, met him met a couple him. of times. So yeah. what's he like? Because he, him, oh, I, he's incredible. Yeah, like absolutely. In, in, from, it's like being in the presence of some kind of genius spectral being really yeah wow. yeah he's, he's just he's just incredible i met him um golf photo plus yeah did you uh, was he doing a, a a talk yes yeah 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 wow. he's done talks there he was a regular there for a while um but obviously gpp hasn't happened for the last couple of years now but no. yeah 
Well, I should probably fill in um, a little bit on, on who Gregory Heisler is. If you don't know of him, uh, he's been described as having the eye of an artist, the mind of a scientist, there should be a song in this, and the heart of a journalist, renowned for his technical mastery and thoughtful responsiveness. He's photographed more than 70 cover portraits for time, uh, which reside in the permanent collection of the National Portrait Gallery. His images have also graced the covers and pages of Life and Esquire and GQ... Um, the list is endless, Kev, actually. As a, as a sought-after speaker, too, like you met him, um, he speaks around the world. He's taught at the International Centre of Photography and he's graced the bars of of Dubai hotels with an orange in hand, I'm sure, with, with, with Kev. I mean, he's just so, um, so talented, isn't he? Yeah, uh, very, very, very talented. And, w- and was on the talk, was he talking about the way that he produces these photographs? Because that's essentially what this book is all about. It's, I mean, it's beautiful. It's got this book. I, th- I think it was about £24, 24 to £28, something like that, on Amazon that I bought this. So it, it's it's available at the moment. And it's, and it's a big book. It's a beautifully produced book. Um, Lars was actually drawn to it by this incredible portrait on the front page. Mm. Um, but um, But the book is all about his approach, um, what he feels when he makes a photograph. And it's lovely to look at books of um, incredible portraits made by incredible portrait photographers. But this mm. one is actually also about um, how he felt. What he, and In fact, it is Kit as well. Uh, and, and one of the nice things is that he sort of demystifies this whole situation as well and how complex you need to be as a photographer. And I wondered if that's what he did when he talked to his his audience at the Gulf Well, I don't know because I never went to his talk. Oh, no, did you not? Okay, all right. No, we just, uh, it was just the social, social, it, well, it, I was a speaker at the same ah. time. So, yeah, we just kind of hung, hung around a bit. But yes, uh, I, although, however, I have, I've seen that book. I've flicked through that book many times uh, yeah. in bookstores and never actually bought it. But yeah, so I know exactly what you mean. Well, every, um, every single page has thoughts or, or every single person has thoughts on technique. Um, about them and I, I was reading the the sort of the preface to the book really and he said for me for years my workhorse camera was a donkey it was boxy and clunky heavy anything but sleek it was a single lens reflex like a much smaller camera and it boasted a bellows like a much larger one it was uh, most at home on a tripod but um, could be handheld if not easily surprisingly comfortably it may have been a brick but it was a well-balanced brick Do you, can you guess what sort of camera he's talking about here Hasselblad? Mm, would it, it would be in that family. No, I had one, actually, for a while. It's the, um, the Mamiya uh, RZ67 or RZ67, depending upon where you come from. Yes. Yeah, 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 said, yeah, yeah, e- yeah. Even the name's a bit of a donkey. But, um, the, the yeah, but there was, that produced great images, though, didn't it? Oh, the ones I've seen in those cameras. I mean, he talks about the... Um, he talks about the what does he say about the sound? Here we go. It had a cannon blast of a shutter release followed by the loud grinding of the motor advancing the film. Ka-chonk! He describes it really well. It was a beautiful camera, it really was. I mean, you took your time with it, that's for sure. But the book the book introduces... Um, and Here's a character we talked about a few weeks ago, and we talked about what would it be like to, to photograph Danny DeVito. Do you remember? Yes. Yeah. Um, the camera was on the floor, I was on the floor... The chair was a child's chair. Danny DeVito <laughs> loomed large, killing the frame. That's the way he approached this. I was shooting him for a profile for the New York Times magazine that focused not on his comedic uh, career as a diminutive 
um, caricature, but, but of his new career as a formidable film director. And he talks about the way he lights it. Uh, he talks about broad lighting. He talks about... Um, well, what are all the lightings, Kev? You know about lighting. Yeah, there's... there's Rem- um, Rembrandt, Rembrandt. Short lighting. Short lighting, clam- that's what I use. Clamshell. You ever use clamshell? Clamshell. Yeah, there's the lighting with those um, flash things. <laughs> but he, the, the great thing about this book is you see the way that he's thinking. Um, so when he talks about uh, broad lighting or clamshell or Rembrandt or butterfly, all these different different ways that you can light somebody, um, then he will he will say why he used it, when when he used it, and why he used it. And I think that's a great thing about this book. You get to understand how somebody really thinks about making a photograph. And I don't he's know, a great educator. Oh, he is. I mean, it's it's superb. And he doesn't speak in techy techy language in this book. It's 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 really laid out. I, th- I think a lot of photographers like to work in quite a simple way, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, if you look at, I know one of his friends is, um, is Zach Zach Arias, and you know Zach Zach did a whole um, tutorial on basically it was called One Light. You know, making portraits with one light, and uh, and you know, yeah, simplify it yeah, yeah. as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, there's one here with Al Pacino. The brief opportunity presented itself during a break. I was photographing Al Pacino and Keanu Reeves. Do you remember the film The Devil's Advocate? Yeah. That was Great a big film there. That was a racy film. You can't watch that one with your mother over your shoulder, that's for sure. Don't have her over your shoulder. Have her sat next to you. <laughs> no way, Kev. I'll go red <laughs> immediately. But he, he talks about using um, a particular kind of uh, camera in that one. He said, when, when you work with a DSLR... Or a rangefinder, there's literally no distance. You get in close, you make your shot, that's your portrait. Um, but here he's talking about backing right away because he's using um, he's using a view camera. And so he, he talks about that that sort of the slowness, the deliberate sort of slowing down of yourself to move yeah. away. Yeah, and, and I, I think that that's what for this. That's one of the reasons I bought this book because I was thinking I want to get behind the mind of a master in this one. Um, number nineteen, Arnold Newman. What would it be? can you imagine? Can you imagine Kev being asked to photograph somebody like Arnold Newman? What would you think? I'm not turning up for work today. Arnold Newman is in there, and the way that he photographed him. Oh yes, John Glenn, thirty-five. Um, do you remember who John Glenn was? Uh, was he in Cagney and Lacey? No, that that was Sharon Gless. No, John John Glenn uh, was an astronaut, the oldest astronaut. Do you remember? I do. No, I do. Yes, I yeah. was reading about it all with the, the Mars thing recently. Yeah, actually, yeah. He, he was a senator, of course, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. An astronaut again, as confident and rock steady as the photographs in 1962 when he was first uh, um, an astronaut, and so he was asked to go and take his portraits, and he talks about how he made the portrait. And the most fascinating thing for me here, the moment I, I looked at the. Um, the picture on the on the second page, because that's where really the thoughts on technique fire in. Uh, I looked at it, and it became one of those pictures where you think, oh, that is my worst nightmare. I've just been given, you know, um, John Glenn to photograph for, for New York Times or whatever, and you've stuck me in an office with a plain wall, an horrible white ceiling above, and he goes into quite a lot of detail about how he lit him with, um, looks like a constant light source here, actually, with very, very close to him, so it became very soft light. Um, mm. And it's that, that kind of stuff. When you look at it, and, and often I think and even pictures of people like George W. Bush, who's number 37, you know, if you're asked to go into the White House, now I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to my chat later this week with Pete Souza, who, who was um, the White House 
photographer, of course, for um, for Barack Obama. But Pete is another one, and who who makes life really simple. He doesn't complicate it by bringing in you know, an army of people with lights and stuff. He makes it simple, and I think sometimes that's the best way to approach what would be. A, I mean, if somebody said George W. Bush, there we go, Kev, make a picture. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd go into a tailspin of con, of concern and worry that I wasn't bringing enough kit in. But, yeah, yeah. So there we go. That's the that. I'm not as good at doing book reviews as you, Kev, but that's Gregory Heisler, Fifty Portraits. That's pretty good, though. I'd give that seven out of ten. Would you? <laughs> okay, I'll put it over here in the seven out of ten pile. <laughs> What was he like? Did you drink with him at the bar? Yeah, it was like socially, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was, he, yeah, he's, he's, he is a nice guy and also um, just everybody's in awe of him. You know, he yeah. just he's just one of those people that's really nice and really good at what they do. Well, you're like that, Kev, you know, when everybody's in awe of Kev at the bar, at the SWPP. <laughs> I'd never go to the bar at the SWPP. It's way too expensive. <laughs> That's true. I think we've got time for one more question. It's got to be a quickie, though, Kev. Right. Okay, I'm just going to go right to the bottom then. Uh, Denise Bass says, I just started using my old Nikon mount lens baby on my X-T3. So fun. I was out shooting the other day and tried to switch to a Fuji lens, but the lens wouldn't work. Uh I realized it was because I had to turn off the shoot without lens setting. I couldn't remember where in the menu it was buried. I found it eventually, but I'm wondering if I could set up a custom button or if you know of any tricks for quickly switching between Fuji lenses and other lenses with adapters. Like a like Nikon. <laughs> like a Nikon. Yeah. Yeah. Nikon main lens, baby. Right. Um, yeah. So you've got a couple of options here, I think. you can. I'm not sure if that is an option for a function button, but I'm fairly sure you'd be able to add that to the My Menu setting. Um, X-T3 has a My Menu, I think. Mm, all my cameras are <laughs> well away now. Fairly sure X-T3 had a My Menu option. So in the My Menu option, you can basically build your own custom menu with all of the menu options. Um, so that that could be an option for you. God, how many times can I use the word option in one sentence? <laughs> uh, other than that, I think, yeah, you just got to have to go in and out but yes, that that was the reason why it wasn't working was because of that shoot without lens uh, setting was not was correct. Mm. If you're going to be doing it regular, stick it in the my menu option. If you have, well, good. There we go. That's Denise's question answered. Is that the answer you were going to give, Neil? Uh, yeah, that was exactly. I, I thought Kev's just saying what I would say, as always. Um, that's it for this week thank you very much for your company if you can share the episode on Twitter or on Facebook you're a star let us know where you're sharing because we'd like to give those platforms a bit of a shout out as well if you're sending your questions in yes we do need some more um, uh, some more email ones otherwise I'm going to be stealing all Kev's Um, so click at fujicast.co.uk click at fujicast.co.uk if somebody wants to send in since you started this now, Kev, a letter. What do they do? They just simply write Kev Malmesbury. What do they do? What do they? Well, they... I, I think. Um, uh, well, I think it was basically a case of going to the website, and yeah. I, I think in this case that uh, Ted went to my website and found my address, my business address. Mm-hmm. But you, you equally have a business address. Yeah, so. don't, don't send it to me though. Send it to Kev. Yeah, I'm gonna make. A, I'm gonna frame that. Yeah. Yes. 
yeah. And oh, and next week we will. Uh, I haven't told Neil this, but uh, oh. I'm, I'm resigning. No, that's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't because we've got a special, special thing coming up next year sometime, which we can't yeah, talk about. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah we've yeah. got the special thing. Don't tell. Shh, no, I told you not to say anything. No, I know. I, I, we will. I, we are going to do a Instagram competition. Oh, are we? Yes. Okay. Yes, especially for our lovely Instagram followers. Do we have a meeting about that? No, not yet. <laughs> we will have it next week. <laughs> Why not? Uh, well, so an Instagram thingy coming up next week. Thank you to Jane O'Dell for being our guest this week. And uh, we will see you next week. Bye-bye, Kev. Bye. Bye-bye. The Fujicast is an independent Loading Zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.